Bowsers, welcome to another episode of On the Way Home. I am your host, Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door. Blue Door is one of the groups, one of the organizations that put this podcast together, uh, doing great work in York Region, Durham Region, and Peel Region uh, for 41 years now. You can learn all about the work that my team at Blue Door is doing at bluedoor.ca. We're doing some really cool stuff around uh, construction, social enterprise, different types of housing, our inclusion, INN inclusion program for 2SLGBTQ plus youth, um, and many, many more things. So check us out at bluedoor.ca. And if you want to get involved, uh, that's where you can find out more. We do not do this podcast alone. It is in partnership with our great friends at the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness. They are doing game-changing work day in, day out, advocacy work, training. They put on a giant conference in Halifax uh, that our guests today will be at, and that's in November. So check out all the stuff they're doing at caeh.ca. Um, and, and you sign up for the conference. Uh, you can uh, sign up to become a built for zero community. And let me tell you, that's what you want to do to get to that functional zero for homelessness. Uh, and you can uh, sign up for pieces where you can, they make it very easy for you to advocate for um, different policies to change that will help end homelessness across our country. Let's talk about today's guests. Do I have one guest? No. Do I have two guests? No, I have three guests and they're all from Humane Canada, and they are young leaders. Very, I, I was, I felt, I was very inspired, and I always get inspired by young people. Like all three of these individuals um, are working hard, have high levels of education, are passionate, and it's just really inspiring. They're from Humane Canada, and we had Sue, Andrea, and Claire from Humane Canada. They're working on something called the Act Project. So, uh, working together with the Canadian Violence Link Coalition, that the Act project, which stands for Awareness, Collaboration, the Tools Project. The ACT project seeks to address uh, systemic barriers for women with animals that are fleeing violence, right? Uh, their companions, often uh, women have to leave their animals behind just because they have to leave in a hurry. And that is their family. And also because there's not a lot of options for them uh, to flee to that are safe and affordable, that they can uh, keep their family, their animals with them uh, going forward, right? And so they're, they're doing a lot of work around looking at different models, talking with different partners, working through it. Uh, they're, they're trying to come up with a model uh, for those, impact, uh, those impacted uh, fleeing violence uh, with their animals, uh, whether it be the survivor animals, service providers, animal welfare workers, all these different partners coming together uh, to kind of put together that model. We talk a lot about that today. We talk about their journey into this work. We talk about what Humane Canada does. And we talk about the ACT project, the process they've gone through so far, uh, what's happened so far, some of their learnings, and what their hopes are for the future. It's a great conversation with three young, brilliant leaders that you don't want to miss. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Let's go to that conversation now. Sue, Andrea, Claire, thank you so much for making the time today to come on the pod. So happy to have you here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. So excited to be here. Cool. That was almost coordinated, all three at the same time. You, you almost said, this is such a tight group that they already know who's going to say what beforehand. And so with this question, we're going to leave it up to you. And you, you talked about this beforehand, uh, the question that we ask all of our um, people that come on the podcast, and that is, what does home mean to you? So we actually all have an individual answer to this, and I'm going to get this started. Um, when I think of home, I think of a safe, accessible place 
where you spend your time and share with those you love, which may be human or animal household members. I also want to acknowledge, though, that safe, accessible, affordable housing is increasingly inaccessible for many individuals and families across Canada. And I'm going to pass it to Claire. Thank you. Yeah, um, the first thing that come to mind uh, when I think of home are certainly my dog and my partner. Um, we live together in a few different places now, and I can definitely see how having my family with me makes it feel like my home really could be anywhere. Um, but when I think more about it, I can really recognize that the feeling of home isn't necessarily connected to a specific person or a specific place or even a specific animal, um, but rather that feeling of safety and the ability to be with loved ones, uh, human or animal, and the freedom to express my authentic self. And I'll pass it over to Andrea. Thanks, Claire. Um, when I think of the word home, I think of a safe place. Um, of joy, of the ability to express myself freely, to be vulnerable. I think of connection to my loved ones and an overall sense of belonging. <clears throat> and like Sue, I recognize that this isn't the case for many people. And having grown up, I wouldn't describe my home at that time as such, but it's a space now that I've had uh, time and space to cultivate and nest in. Love that. And thank you for those answers. Um, there is no right or wrong answer, but you always see the themes of safety, comfort, family. Mm -hmm. And in this case, we saw a bit of a theme of animals, too. And we'll, we'll tell you why in a minute, uh, why that's important. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, we always like to learn a little bit about our guests. So we're asking each of you to just take us through the journey of how you got into this work. Uh, sure, I can start off that question. So... I feel that I'm on a lot of different journeys, but given my lived experience being a first-gen Asian American and Canadian, I saw the systemic barriers like systemic racism that my parents faced as newcomers. So this, along with a lot of other factors, instilled in me a drive to help and support communities. And so I worked with a variety of marginalized communities over seven years as a social worker, and I saw this common recurrent theme of social injustice and systemic issues that all of these communities faced. Um, so then I got my master's in social work uh, with a goal of wanting to support and aid in the transformation of these systems. And that's actually when I became a practicum student with Human Canada with the ACT Project. And now I'm fortunate enough to be a coordinator with the ACT Project where I can engage in more of that systems level work. I will go next to answer that. Um, so the journey that I have had working in the sector of gender-based violence and animal welfare um, began with my own lived experience of gender-based violence. I wish to continue to center other survivor voices in this space. As a survivor, I was fortunate to be able to access support services, and that helped me to safely leave a violent relationship and rebuild my life. Um, I became really passionate about advocating for fellow survivors of gender-based violence and began to work in spaces to build gender-based violence programs and services um, that were trauma-informed and survivor-centered. And then from working in leadership in gender-based violence services, um, I came to Humane Canada to work as the coordinator of the ACT project. Um, and I'm now grateful for the opportunity to manage the ACT project. Um, I'm currently pursuing a master's in women and gender studies um, to continue to build on my knowledge. 
and to better address systemic barriers for uh, facing survivors. And I'll take it away after Sue. Um, so I came to the ACT project predominantly with a background in animal welfare, uh, but really having a robust passion for the area that's the intersection between animal and human welfare. Um, so I worked throughout pretty much my whole undergrad in Thunder Bay, Ontario at the local Humane Society, where I really got to see the profound impact that access to affordable veterinary care had on animals and their people. And this combined with coordinating a free pet food delivery program uh, as part of a COVID-19 relief effort made me really passionate about providing services that could help to support people and their animals um, staying together through times of hardship. Um, I actually started at Humane Canada part-time as the coordinator for the National Pet Food Bank, um, and then I was lucky enough to get brought on board with the ACT project as a coordinator for that project as well. So I'm really grateful that my work has led me here uh, and to be able to contribute to this really meaningful project. Awesome. Thank you all for uh, sharing. And so glad. I, and you know what? It's really inspiring to see uh younger people like yourselves, like killing it in education and taking that education and doing really impactful, important work. So thank you. I want to tell you a quick story about animals um, and in and, and housing, right? So many, many years ago, we had this drop-in center when I worked at 360 Kids, then known as Pathways. And we had a, um, one of our youth came in and someone saw some movement in his backpack uh, and they discovered it was actually a rat and it was his pet rat. Now, Right away, the first response to a, to a rat is a bit of a freak out by some of the staff and how could it be, how could, but when he explained it to them that it was his pet and it was his only family, it changed everything. It was mm -hmm. a game changer and it made us really think of family can take many forms. And mm -hmm. when it comes to animals, I mean, I think I'm, I'm preaching to the converter, but when it comes to animals, I mean, so many people, as we could, you know, uh, Andrea, so you talked about lived experience too, where mm -hmm. many people have let us down in lives, in fact, hurt us, where animals don't let us down, don't hurt us. I mean, it's that, uh, the love that they bring. And, and then others might wonder, you know, when, if you had to, like, when you're forced to make that choice of you can't come inside or you can't access this housing program, mm -hmm. if you have a pet and that kind of thing, why do they choose not to, right? Of course not. Because the, the yeah. question becomes... Would you leave your family outside? And the answer, of course, is no. So they're not, not mm -hmm. going to do that either. So let's talk about, you know, with that kind of quick story there, let's talk about Humane Canada. Can you tell us a little bit about it? How did it start? What is its purpose and mission? Yeah, absolutely. I'll take that one away. Uh, so Humane Canada is Canada's National Federation of SPCAs and Humane Societies, which represents more than 50 humane societies and SPCAs across the country in every province and in two of our three Canadian territories. Um, so the mission of Humane Canada is to end animal cruelty, improve animal protection and promote the humane treatment of all animals. And because many of Humane Canada's members investigate and enforce the animal cruelty sections of the criminal code, we have a lot of frontline knowledge of the violence link, which is the relationship between violence against people and violence against animals. 
So within Humane Canada, we have the Criminal Justice System Reform Program, which works to raise awareness about the violence link and to support legislative and policy amendments that will create lasting change in Canada's animal welfare landscape. And we also have the Canadian Violence Link Coalition, which is um, our project, the ACT project, uh, works with the Humane uh, Canada Canadian Violence Link Coalition to address systemic barriers for women with animals experiencing gender-based violence. So our work gives us an understanding of gender-based violence really from an animal welfare perspective, and it intersects with access to housing as a basic right for both humans and animals alike. Very cool. Wow. Thank you for that. And you just mentioned the ACT project. Can you elaborate a little bit on uh, the ACT project? Why was it created? How long has it been around? Uh, what are some of the activities? Yeah, I can explain um, by, I can begin by explaining like what the ACT project is overall. So we are a national project that seeks to address those systemic barriers within support services that for survivors with animals experiencing gender-based violence. So ACT stands for Awareness, Collaboration and Tools. And when we speak of animals, this includes companions or pet animals, uh, farmed animals, so women might earn an income from those relationships um, and service animals. And so our project is funded by the Department of Wage, which is Women and Gender Equality. And we're really aligned with that department in our goal of wanting to address and remove systemic barriers for survivors and their families. Um, in terms of uh, why ACT was created, you touched a little bit on it with your story of, you know, family of animals being family and not being recognized with that. Um, but Claire also mentioned the violence link. So, you know, we do know that there is a link between uh, violence towards animals and violence towards humans, and that there's an overlap between that animal abuse and then other forms of violence like intimate partner violence. And so in instances of domestic violence, when there's a pet in the home, there are higher reports of animal abuse being commonly documented. So for like one statistic, one out of eight survivors in Canada report experiencing threatened or enacted violence against their animals. We also know that uh, many women experiencing gender-based violence may, like you mentioned, may view animals as uh, the primary source of support. They may view them as family members, and that has been validated by our conversations with survivors, with the stories they have chosen to share with us, as well as within the literature. And if you have that lived experience, you have a pet, you can probably testify to that bond and the strength of it as well. Um, but unfortunately, in those really harmful and abusive um, relationships, we see aggressors using that bond for coercion. So using it for things like keeping the survivor silent about the abuse or preventing them from leaving. And we've heard that many survivors may actually delay leaving because of their animals and may consider returning back because their animals remained in, the, in that situation. So then if, you know, after all of this, if a, if a survivor does leave, then they can face those systemic barriers. So it's kind of like one thing after another for survivors. They may struggle to find supports, especially in rural, uh, remote farming and northern communities. Um, across Canada, uh, the law is that animals are considered property. So struggle, so sorry, so survivors may struggle for legal custody of their animals. 
And then there's also this um, societal attitude of victim blaming and shaming when survivors uh, do decide to disclose. Um, additionally, I believe Claire brought up about how our work intersects with access to housing. And so when we look at housing for survivors and their animals, the, there's no clear standardized approach to housing across Canada for the allowance of pets in homes. So then this creates situations where survivors have to remain living with their abusers and at continued real risk of harm. Um, further, there's a lack of funding for animal safekeeping programs. Uh, and these are programs that keep survivors and animals together after leaving violence. Uh, and then really, you know, based on all of these barriers, and there's more that we can't touch on just given our time, um, this is the reality that, that survivors can face. So there's a real need to respond to this and advocate for better outcomes. And we're hoping that through the ACT project, we can address those various pieces. Amazing. And so what I want to know now is you're doing this work. What can you walk me through the process of putting the project together? Who's all been involved? Absolutely. Um, we have been incredibly lucky in this project to work with numerous partners in both human and animal services that have supported building the ACT to keep families safe model. Um, as well as the online learning center that we will be launching in October. Um, so I wanna start by saying the foundation of this project was built by Jasmine Ferreira, um, the previous manager of the project, and she is a current PhD candidate at York University. Um, this work actually began with 12 stakeholder partners from both animal and human service organizations from municipal, provincial, and national perspectives. These stakeholders were organizations that were already working with Humane Canada regarding the, the link between gender-based violence and animal abuse. Um, and I, I want to note here, though, there was one exception, um, and that exception was Women at the Centre, which is a national survivor-led organization. Um, we actually approached them to join the project because of the incredible work that they're doing, and we wanted to include and center survivor voices from the beginning of this project. Um, so these stakeholders came together and worked with us to complete a social network analysis and create a systems map um, of all the systems that survivors of gender-based violence and their animals may interact with in their journey, um, as well as to highlight leaders and champions in this work. So we had a long, long list of leaders and champions, um, and we were limited by time and budget. I do want to note that. Um, but we reached out to leaders and champions and asked them to join on to the project as partners, which we had 28 additional organizations become project partners from across Canada, and again, both animal and human services. With these 40 total partners, we completed a gap analysis um, to look for existing strengths with organizations that are already doing work with survivors and animals, as limitations for organizations that are wishing to work with survivors and animals, um, opportunities within communities to further this work that's already happening, um, as well as challenges within communities um, for where this work hasn't been able to get started. From that analysis, um, we were able to meet again with our 12 stakeholder partners um, and together with them designed an adaptable collaborative response model, which is our act to keep families safe model. Um, we then shared this model for feedback to ensure it was meaningful and adaptable through community conversations with survivors, 
official language minority communities, indigenous communities, and remote and rural communities. We then adapted and adjusted the model to be inclusive of this feedback. And then since those consultations, we have been building and putting into practice the building blocks of our model, um, including building educational modules, resources, and collecting case studies that will all be launched in our online learning center. We also began to host a community of practice to offer space for leaders and champions to learn together and to network. Um, I just wanna highlight our next community of practice will be in October. Um, we have been focusing our energy towards advocacy, including putting together a submission for the Federal Housing Advocate to highlight the need for accessible, affordable, safe, animal-friendly housing. As we had heard from survivors and organizations across the country, that there is a need to have housing for survivors to move forward to once they have utilized the services of an animal safekeeping program. And I do want to note, we have an extensive list of partners on our website, and I encourage folks to check this out and learn more about these incredible organizations that we've been able to work with. I am not going to list them, though, um, as that would take up a significant amount of time, and there's a lot for us to discuss on this podcast. The Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness has a brand new collection of cozy home clothing. We've collaborated with My Home Mercantile, a stylish Canadian small business, and designer Meg Davis to bring you Helping Home Apparel. By shopping, you're supporting a growing movement that is helping communities across the country prevent, reduce, and end homelessness. Visit myhomemercantile.com to order your new apparel and make a difference today. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Thank you so much. Yeah, there is a lot to discuss. Um, and so all these stakeholders that you have, what have you been hearing from them? Uh, any surprises as you've gone about this work? Um, I can answer that. Um, when I began supporting the ACT project as a student, my first day was a roundtable stakeholder consultation, and I was thrown right into it, and it was great. But I just remember being really pleasantly surprised with how supportive and eager the partners were to engage with us um, and within the project. And I'm coming from a background where I was on the front line and had to advocate every day. And that felt like an uphill battle. Uh, but entering this project, I felt like I was surrounded by people who had that same goal in mind that we wanted to really center survivor voices. We wanted to center their animals uh, as well. Um, I think another thing we should 
acknowledges that we're not starting all of this from scratch, um, that there are survivors, service providers, communities who have really paved the way for us to take on this project. And that's because of their adaptation to and their resistance against systemic barriers. Um, and we've really seen how amazing uh, and innovative and creative their responses have been. So I also wanted to share that we're, uh, like Sue mentioned through the case studies, we, we will have case studies of ways agencies have co-sheltered survivors and animals together, or of how they have kept animals safe off-site. And again, that will be uh, shared through our upcoming online learning center. I'm gonna share some of the, the results from those conversations that we were having because we were so fortunate to witness many rich discussions of our stakeholders. Um, so these discussions did emphasize the importance and the need for survivors with animals to have programs to support them. Um, but they also offered some unexpected areas for further advocacy. Um, so one of those areas was regarding survivors with disabilities and looking at the need to better support survivors with service animals, as well as to create more of an understanding about emotional support animals. In Canada, um, service animals fall under provincial legislation, um, which does differ from province to province. Um, oftentimes though, survivors may flee from one province to another due to safety concerns, due to their community being in another province, or various other reasons. And this means that survivors with service animals may face barriers and discrimination in another province when trying to, access, uh, trying to access services. There's also a need to recognize and acknowledge and advocate regarding trans women and non-binary individuals as they are experiencing high rates of gender-based violence. And there are many challenges and barriers for accessing services for these survivors. Now, we also heard from rural, remote, northern, reserve, fly-in and farming communities, that they have very different experiences, very different barriers, and very different access to services. And our stakeholders informed us that there are different considerations in these spaces about confidentiality and safety within these communities. Um, and we're, we're actually going to have an educational module launching in our online learning center specifically to focus on these barriers and considerations. Um, one of the surprises of this project, which kind of came up in your story about the, the pet rat, um, was the wide variety of animals that survivors may be responsible for or have a relationship with, and the need to ensure that these relationships are thought of when designing these animal safekeeping programs. Um, additionally, animals, like Andrea mentioned, are legally considered property in Canada, and this can actually create a pretty big barrier for survivors who may not view their relationship with animals through that lens or may not have access um, or the ability to safely access proof of ownership, which can create another barrier for accessing services. We also heard over and over again about the importance of building networks of collaboration. This work cannot be done alone. And there's a need for cross-sectoral support between animal and human services to share our knowledge, our expertise, our resources, to be able to best support survivors with animals. But we also heard the need to educate and raise awareness within communities so family members, friends, and community members can offer support to survivors and have a deeper understanding about gender-based violence. And finally, I wanna highlight 
We also heard from our stakeholders about the need to include Francophone voices and have collaborative partnerships between Anglophone and Francophone services and offer services and resources in both languages. That's amazing. I'm wondering if you could share, you talked about like, because there's not one way to do this, right? We're finding out different ways. Um, and I want to shout out to my, my partner, Sylvia Braithwaite, who works with Fred Victor. Fred Victor, very early on, years ago, before it was in Shelter Standards, at their um, their Caledon site, had a lot of pets. And they were the only, right? And, and so they, they did that. And, and, um, and it wasn't uh, Sylvia who drove that, but she is a huge proponent and wanted to make sure I was so proud of that, right? And so they do that. And there's different rules around it. If it's a larger dog, you have to keep it in a cage. Or if the dog might have tendencies to bite people, you have to have a muzzle on it. Um, but it generally works without a lot of incidents. Others might have, I, I know sometimes people will talk about, okay, can we have people board your pet? Not a big fan. I'll be honest, right? Because the whole thing we're talking about here is that's family. Why would I board my family somewhere else? But to keep them safe or work with, as you talked about, working with animal services too, right? That that, that crossover. And that's part of the challenge too, I think, when people say, okay, you know, we're going to make this work. We're going to uh, make sure we have policies that support that. However, what happens when the pet gets sick? Or what if we can't get food? Or what if we, and Claire, you talked about that, that crossover, so I, I've asked a lot of questions in there, but what are some of the models that you've seen that have worked and worked well? So I'll take that one. Um, so we definitely want to say that co-sheltering um, is ideal. Um, it is what's best for animals. It's what's best for their humans. Um, it, it can be really traumatic for both the animal and the human to have to separate. Um, but we like to look at this as a journey for organizations. And some folks are starting a little bit earlier on that journey. Um, and so that's where there's some really cool programs out there that we're gonna highlight where it's a gender-based violence shelter working with an SPCA to foster um, the animal during the time period where the survivor is in shelter. Um, there's also programs where, you know, gender-based violence services are working with dog boarding or cat boarding or animal boarding facilities to, to support there. Um, and so those are some really cool programs. But I think one of the reasons we keep highlighting that this work can't be done alone and has to be done in collaboration is because even when we have co-sheltering, um, you know, there's those things that come up of animals getting sick or needing food. And that's where there's a, a, such incredible expertise on the side of animal welfare, where they can offer that support and that help and sort of pooling together resources so that we can best support survivors and their animals. Um, so I will say, when we talk about this work, it's a journey for all folks, but it's also what works best for your community. And so as we built our model and built our online learning center, we've designed that with that in mind. So there's not one solution. There's lots of ideas, models, strategies that you can take from, and then go work with your community partners to build your own programs. Absolutely not one way to get it done for sure. Um, you're doing incredible work. Uh, what is your hope moving forward? What's next? You, you've got this in action. Um, yeah, what, what are your hopes for, say, a year down the line? Yeah, for sure. I'll start, although I know that we, we certainly all have uh, many hopes for where this project will go. Um, so we've heard from some of our stakeholders that because of the work of the ACT project, 
their organization has been able to, for the very first time, support a survivor alongside their animal in fleeing gender-based violence. And so I, I certainly hope that we can keep celebrating successes like that, where one survivor at a time, we can build a more supportive infrastructure for women to access safety. Um, but beyond that, I, I really hope that the infrastructure that we're building can help to raise awareness about the violence link um, and that it starts conversations and creates call to action for us to do better in reducing gender-based violence in the first place and in advocating for safe, accessible, and animal-friendly housing. I'll pass it over to Andrea. Thanks, Claire. Um, you know, I think a common theme that comes up when we work with survivors and their animals is resilience. Uh, like we often hear stories of people being like, wow, that person is so resilient to get through that time and uh, their dog showed a lot of resilience. Um, but I hope that for the future, there won't be a need for resilience that um, because it's exhausting to be resilient all the time. And I hope this isn't you know, in a year from now, but in the future, um, I hope that we can continue to work together and advocate for those structural and systemic uh, transformative changes. And um, so that, you know, being resilient isn't the only choice that survivors and animals have. And like Claire and Andrea highlighted, the goal of this project has always been to create systemic change. And my hope moving forward is we will continue to uplift the voices of survivors and of organizations to be able to support that systemic change. Um, but specifically, I wanna highlight, there's a need to support and offer resources and funding to the incredible work Indigenous leaders and champions are already doing in the space of supporting survivors of gender-based violence in their communities. And I really hope we can uplift their work. Well, listen, I have great faith that with the three of you, working hard behind this, uh, great things are going to happen and continue to happen. This is uh, this is very cool. Listen, if someone wants to learn more about uh, Human Canada, about the ACT Project, about the work you're doing, where can they go? Where can they find out more? For sure, there are a few different options. Um, so the first thing they can do is subscribe to our newsletter. So the ACT newsletter is quarterly and we send out updates about our project um, and that includes notifications about resources and learning modules that we're launching. And it also highlights, like Sue mentioned, the amazing work that's being done by our project partners. Um, and so you can subscribe to our newsletter at humanecanada.ca slash ACT project. Um, and we've also mentioned our quarterly community of practice. So these are virtual meetings uh, and there is space for professionals working with survivors and their animals to come together and learn about a particular topic and supporting survivors from guest speakers. And so there's a regional networking opportunity after the guest speakers uh, give presentations and you can discuss the specific barriers and successes of providing services in your area with others, or you can choose to join another area and learn from another place. Um, and our next community of practice, like Sue mentioned, is in October. So it's October 19th. And the topic that we're focusing on is supporting Indigenous communities and survivors of gender-based violence. So if you want to attend, we would love 
love to have you. Um, we would ask that you'd reach out to our team via email so that we can send you registr registration link and I will get to the contact in a moment because the last thing I wanna share about is our online learning center. So our newsletter will also highlight the launch of the online learning center, which like we mentioned is happening in October. Um, and this will feature really something for everyone. So it'll have our asynchronous lear learning modules um, and that'll include courses that are geared towards the general public, uh, animal service providers and human social service providers. Um, and it will also be where you can find our resources, including tools and templates, which can be used by organizations working with survivors and animals. Um, and like Andrea mentioned, we'll be having our case studies there where we'll be showcasing all the different ways that this kind of work can kind of manifest uh, and is happening all across the country. So it'll be a really interesting uh really interesting thing to be able to explore. Um, and you can find recordings to our, our previous community of practice meetings in case you are interested in watching those. Um, so if you have any questions about the project itself, or if you want to discuss collaborating with us, or if you'd like to get the link to register for our community of practice, please reach out to us. Uh, our team can be reached through Sue at sue at humanecanada.ca. And that is amazing. What about uh, what about social media? Humane Canada all over social media? Yes, thank you so much for asking. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, it is Humane Canada on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, pretty much anywhere uh, you can look for social. That's where we're at. And yeah, the, the Humane Canada website is humanecanada.ca. Cool, cool. And uh, there's something coming up in Halifax. What's happening in Halifax shortly? What can you tell me about? Are you going to be there? We sure are. <laughs> we sure are. Sorry. Um, we're very excited to be speaking at the conference um, at the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness Conference. And what's your, what's your, I'm pretty sure it's called, like, so what is the official title of your, so I, we can look for it. We want, we want to fill up that room. People got to know more and learn more and duplicate and, you know, uh, support what you're doing. Absolutely. Um, I just want to, quickly double check so i'm just pulling up <laughs> our, this was not um, in the script people so, so i'm putting her on the spot i want to make sure i get the title right because we are presenting at a couple <laughs> different conferences so our title at uh, this conference is intersections between homelessness and women with animals experiencing gender-based violence act to keep families safe okay all right amazing check that out i encourage you to do so it is an awesome conference even made even better uh with speakers like the three of you thank you so much for joining me today thanks for what you're doing it's incredible it's impactful it's important um and and i so appreciate all the work that you do on a daily basis and giving some of your precious time to us to chat about it today thanks for coming on thank you for having, thank you. For having us <laughs> all right we will see you in halifax but we'll also see you next time on the way home. Hi, I'm Joel McLeod, co-host of the 905er podcast. The 905 is one of the most diverse and densely populated regions of Canada. Four and a half million of us live, work, and play in the area surrounding Toronto. That's more people in the 905 than actually live in Toronto. Each election, 
The 905 decides who forms our government at both the provincial and federal levels. So why isn't more attention being focused on us here in the 905? We're looking to change that. My co-hosts, Roland Tanner and I, tell the stories that define what we are calling the most important region in Canada. Each week, we bring to your attention news, culture, and issues that make up what it means to be a 905er. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Or you can visit us at 905er.ca to subscribe. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.